Talking about identity is, it's kind of like walking where angels feared to tread. It's become an incredibly loaded topic over the last decade or so. Um, maybe it was just young naivety, I'm not quite sure, but I used to think identity was a pretty simple concept. Right, you are who you are. I can look at my driver's license and I just know, well, I don't need my driver's license to tell me this, but I'm Doug. I live in Cornelius. I'm a pastor, right? Uh, but that's, I think, just naivety speaking, because over the last decade or so, uh, identity has become an incredibly complicated subject. And anytime you bring up the word identity, it opens up a black hole of baggage that is now dragged along with that term. Right? You can look through any sort of news cycle or poke around, just type in the word identity, and you'll come up with things like all of the confusion and struggle that there is with gender identity. You have all of the struggle in a, in a politically divided country with political identity. In a secular world, you have all sorts of struggle with religious identity. And with the veil of naivety removed, I'm able to see, and I think all of you probably know this, but I'm able to see how complicated it is just to speak about identity in a postmodern, relativistic, and secular world. It's incredibly hard. But this morning, what I, what I want to do for just a few minutes is to talk about identity and just remove all of the baggage that the world brings along with that term. I want to look at identity from a purely or through a purely Christian lens. And, and to do that, I, I want to ask you two questions. Do you think as Christians, we complicate this notion of identity because of the baggage that the world drags along with it? And if we complicate the, the notion of identity, then does that mean we also complicate living out that identity the way that God calls us to? I would say the answer to both of those is yes. Now, Peter, he talks about our identity in our second reading for this morning. He says to each one of us, you are a chosen people a holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is your identity. God takes that which is nothing and makes it into something. He takes that which is mundane and ordinary, and he makes it into something that is extraordinary. He makes you his. You are his chosen people. You are holy. You are royalty. God makes you that which belongs to him. This is your identity. That's not a complicated thing, isn't it? Is it? In fact, it's pretty simple. It's beautifully simple. But I, it's so simple. It's so uncomplicated. I think the, the place where you and I get ourselves into trouble is when we start to talk about, okay, here's our identity, but how do we live that identity out? That's where our complication comes. And the way that I've seen this play out, not just in my own life, but in the lives of those that I've interacted with specifically here, is that sometimes we conflate the notion of identity and the notion of vocation. Are you familiar with what vocation is? Vocation is a word, we've talked about this a few times in Theology on Tap the last couple of weeks, but vocation is, it, it literally comes from a Latin word that means to call. So vocation is used to describe all of the callings that God gives to people like you and me. Vocations can be anything from being a husband or a wife, a friend, an employer, an employee, a father or a mother, if God grants you that, a friend, or specifically here in the context of worship, brothers and sisters in Christ. These are all vocations. But vocation is not identity. Right? Peter summed up our identity. And I think you could boil down what Peter says, that, 
that God has made you to be sons and daughters of the Most High King. That's your identity. Your identity is not mother and father. Your identity is not employer or employee. Your identity is not male and female. Those are vocations. Those are things or ways in which God enables you to live out your identity, but to conflate those two notions, it's a false equivalency. They are not the same thing. And you end up, if you think that they are the same thing, you end up in a world of frustration. One of the things that I've, I've kind of watched over the last couple of years is when people think that they derive their identity from those vocations. As if to say that a mother is what my identity is. A husband is what my identity is. An employee or my job is what my identity is. Uh, there was an article a couple, a couple months ago that I saw that talked about how um, Americans specifically have lost the art of being able to make small talk. Like, small talk, is, it, small talk is small talk, right? You never really get into anything meaningful or deep. But Americans especially do this. What is the first thing that Americans tend to do when making small talk? Or one of the questions that they ask? What do you do for a living? I do this, right? We think that what we do for a living is so tied up and wrapped up into our identity, but it's not. It's not our identity, as Peter puts it. We are sons and daughters of the Most High King. That's our identity. And everything else that comes after that, all of these vocations, these callings, are things that God gives us to be able to live out that identity. And that's really what, what Jesus takes up in the Sermon on the Mount today. He explains to us how we live out our identity through these two things that he calls us to be, to be salt and light. Now, first century people, they had the same kind of conflation issue, the complication issue that we do with identity and vocation. For a first century person, their identity was closely tied to where they live and what they did for a living. Think about Jesus. How is Jesus sometimes referred to in the Gospels? He's Jesus of Nazareth. Or one time a question is asked, isn't this the carpenter's son, right? Think about John, the last of the great Old Testament prophets, the great forerunner of Jesus. He is known as John the Baptist or baptizer. Simon, Andrew, James, and John, the first disciples that Jesus calls were what? They were fishermen from Galilee. Now, to these fishermen, Jesus comes up and he says, come follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. So right there, Jesus gives them a new calling. Fishers of men is not their identity. They're children of God through Christ, but their new calling is fishers of men. So you fast forward through uh, about a year of Jesus' ministry and these men following him around, and, and Jesus has to alter their perspective on what life is going to be like. This is what we looked at last week in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus, he alters our perspective by saying, hey, life with me is going to look different. It's going to feel different. It's certainly going to be different than what the rest of the world sees. And I'm going to call all of you blessed. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the lowly, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And after Jesus alters their perspective, just like he had to do for us last week on the Christian life, he then goes on to say, all right, you know what you are. You're a son and daughter of God, and here's how you're going to live this out. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty? again. And what is unsalted salt good for? Which is to say, nothing. It's good for nothing. It's, all it is, is good for is to be thrown on the ground and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does somebody light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. 
Jesus uses two common things in the first century world, things that are still common to us today, salt and light, to describe our callings. Salt, it's used as a preservative, used to flavor bland food, light. It's used to, to bring darkness to a room. It's used to help, help people walk through a dark place to find their way. Salt and light. Jesus said to his first century disciples and to you and me, this is what you are. You are salt. You are a people who have been seasoned by the word of God. You are a people who have had their hearts convicted by the holy law of God of their sin and have had those same hearts healed by the the good news of the gospel. That good news that says to each and every one of you that Christ, the Lamb of God, has not only taken away the sins of the whole world, but taken away all of your sin, nailed it to himself on a cross. You not only have been healed by that, but you believe that and you cling to that message. And now Jesus calls you as sons and daughters of the Most High King. He says, all right, now that your hearts have been seasoned by this word of God, I want you to go out and season a world that is flavorless. I want you to go and sprinkle salt on a world that is corrupt and filled with evil and is decaying every single day. This is part of your new calling to be salt sprinklers. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, you are also the light of the world. When you were brought into this world, you were a people who, whose hearts were born in darkness. We were brought into a world that is dark. But by the grace of God, God caused that light of his son to shine through the darkness of your heart. And now having your heart illuminated, God says, I want you to take that which lit up your heart and I want you to go out into the dark world and be a beacon of that light to shine that light in in the darkness of this world and in people's lives. So you're not just going to be a salt sprinkler, you're also going to be a light bearer. And these two callings, they're going to serve a purpose. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus says that in the Sermon on the Mount, and Peter also picks up on that at the end of our second reading. That you are to live in a way that is different. You are to live in a way that shines brightly in an awful world. And you shine brightly through your words and actions, not for self-glorification or for a pat on the back, but you, you shine brightly because it's through these words and actions that are, are totally tied up in Christ and your identity, which is totally wrapped up in Christ and who God has made you in Christ, is through all those words and actions, your shining light that God reveals himself to people who need it. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Those are your callings. Remember, those aren't your identity. Your identity is son and daughter of the Most High God, and it's this salt bearer and light sprinkler callings, or no, it's the other way around. Salt sprinkler and, or did I say it right the first time, light bearer. However I said it, however I said it, those are your callings that God enables you to live out your identity in this world. Now, if you're anything like me, you do spend a good amount of time thinking about the implications of these callings that God gives you. Now, as human beings, we like instruction manuals, don't we? Unless they're from Ikea, because I can't stand those Ikea instruction manuals. I build the furniture wrong every single time. They're awful, right? Just use words, not pictures. But human beings, we love instruction manuals. We do. We want to know how it is to do something. And the same can be said for our Christian lives. We want instruction manuals. We want something tangible that we can hold on to and point to and say, all right, here's how we are salt and light. And so we read through that instruction manual, which is what? The Word of God, right? The Word of God. We read through that instruction manual and we think through, at least I do at the end of the day, 
how, how was I as a salt sprinkler and a light bearer? Did I do what God called me to do? I think one of the problems that human beings have is we just tend in general to overthink things and overcomplicate things. And that thinking, like especially as you're holding your life up to this how-to manual called the Word of God, you, we tend to overthink things and think ourselves into this spiral of, of overcomplication and convolution to a point where we wonder, well, did I do anything? Did I do anything that resembles sprinkling salt and bearing light? And all of that thinking can move us not to action, but to inaction, can almost cripple us. And this morning, I, I want us to realize that, that being salt and being light, living out these callings, it's not as complicated as we want to make it out to be. Just look at how Jesus says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He doesn't say, well, you should be, or you might be, or maybe you will be sometime in the future. He uses a present tense reality for that. In the same way he used that present tense reality to say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's our possession as the people of God. In that same way, he says, you're salt, you're light. That is what I, God, make you when I call you to be a son and daughter of God. This is just what you are. Salt doesn't have to try to be salt. Light doesn't have to try to be light any more than I have to try to be Doug, who lives in Cornelius, or Bubba, who lives in Charlotte. That's who you are. That's who I am. Salt is created to be salt and is used as salt. Light is created to be light and is used as light. In the same way, Christians, through the gospel, are made to be salt. They're made to be light. This is what we naturally are. This is what we naturally do. The Apostle Paul talks about this in, in two different places, in two different epistles. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The whole picture behind that word handiwork is a, is a potter who is working with a, a ball of clay. You ever seen a potter work in a potter's wheel? You know what I'm talking about? Can you picture it? This potter, he sits down with this useless and formless wet ball of mud, and he sits there as that wheel spins, and he, he moves it, and he molds it, and he shapes it into something that is meaningful and something that actually has purpose. This is what God has done for each one of us. He has handcrafted us. He created us to be salt sprinklers and light bearers. This is our purpose, to do these good works in Christ. And I think the best part of that passage that Paul talks about is, is that God, he doesn't just create us to be this, handcraft us to be salt sprinklers and light bearers, and then kick us out the door and say, well, good luck. I'll see you when I, I come to take you home in maybe 70 years. That's not what God does. God says that he prepared all of these things in advance for us to do, that from eternity, he had all of these situations in mind that he places you in to be salt sprinklers and light bearers. And not only does he prepare those things for you, but he, he equips you for them and gives you the strength to do and to be that which he calls you to be. Paul says much the same thing in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that, it, so that at all times and all things, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Notice how carefully Paul puts that. He doesn't say you might. He doesn't say you may. He says you will. That's a promise of certainty from the God who handcrafted you to be that which he called you to be, to be salt sprinklers and light bearers, that you will do and you will abound in the things that God has called you to do, to be salt and to be light. 
And I pray that you grasp the, the beauty and the magnitude of, of those things that Paul and Jesus and Peter all talk about this morning. That from eternity, God had all of these things in mind for you. And then in time, he created you, he handcrafted you to be this thing, which is a salt sprinkler and a light bearer. And then he promises that you will abound in these things. And when you rest in those promises, soon go away the, the complications and the convolution that we bring along with, with being salt and being light. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to do all these things perfectly. I think you all know this well enough, just as I know it about myself, that we are what? We are sinner saints. Which means that there are days when we aren't going to be the salt and light that Jesus calls us to be. Right? But as our identity is wrapped up in God, and as, as we know that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King, we know exactly where to run when we run headlong into those, into those failings and shortcomings. We run to the King. The King who takes all those failings and shortcomings upon himself, nails them to a cross, and forgives them, each and every one of them. And it's there with the King that you find more forgiveness than you could ever ask for, more forgiveness than, than you would ever need. And then that king also, when you run to him, he gives you the strength and the grace to be able to be that which he has called you to be. And then he gives you that promise. You will abound in every good work. Now, I suppose I still haven't answered the question that we kind of started with, right? How is it that we live out our identity through these callings? How is it that we can be salt and light in a flavorless and sin-darkened world? I could maybe explain it to you, but first maybe let's... Let's have you move into action. If you want to know how to be salt and light in the world, look to the person sitting next to you. You can look. It's not like a creepy, weird thing. You all know each other. You can look to the person sitting behind you, to the person sitting in front of you. Now I want you to think about, think about that, that person who lives next door to you. Think about the the guy or girl who works in the cubicle next to you, although maybe those are kind of a thing of the past. So maybe think of the, the head on the video screen that pops up next year's on a Zoom call. Think about the friend who uh, you go and get coffee with once a week. Think about the spouse if you're married that you hug and, and say, I love you before you go off to work or the, the child that you tuck into bed at night. Right? God has placed each one of us in specific times and specific settings and specific situations to be what he has called us to be to be salt and light. And then God wears us as a mask in these situations, in these callings, these callings to accomplish his will in this world. And what a beautiful truth that is. God doesn't just call us to be salt and light. He calls us to be extraordinary spouses, to bring light into the relationship with each other. God calls us to be extraordinary friends who shine light in the darkest moments of their life. He calls us to be extraordinary neighbors who season their lives with the, the truth of God's word. He calls us to be astounding employees who, who work and work and work, not for self-glorification or for a pat on the back, but, but simply to give glory to God. And, and it's through that way of living that, that people then ask, why is it that, that you live the way you do? If God's given you the blessing of being a parent, he calls you to be to be salt and light for that child, to raise him up in the word of God, to show him the love and the light of Jesus. You could all, those are all different callings, and I haven't even come close to exhausting the number of callings that one could have in this life. But if you were to sit down this week with a sheet of paper, 
and write down all of the different callings that God has given you in this life, you'd have page after page after page, and you'd begin to see all of the different ways and all of the different situations that God calls you to be salt and light in this world. And as you do that, I want you to remember, I want you to remember that God not only gives you the strength to do this, but God is working through you to accomplish his will. If you walk away with nothing else from this sermon today, I, I want you to walk away remembering these two things. Remember that identity and vocation are not the same thing. That your identity is not derived from, from what you do for a career or whether you're a husband or a wife or a mother or a father or a friend or a brother and sister in Christ. Those are all callings. Your identity, though, is not derived from those. Your identity is wrapped up in God and who God has made you through the blood of his son. Your identity is the son and daughter of the Most High King. And it's because you have that identity that God now gives you all of these different callings in life where you can be salt and you can be light. And I pray that God gives you all of the grace, all of the strength, and all of the ability to be what he has called you to be, to be salt sprinklers and light bearers. God grant that in his son's name. Amen.